As we start this message, I wonder how personal some of those statements on the screen might be to you. Uh, It's a likelihood that for some of us in this room that uh, it was an expression of a genuine worry of your heart. Uh, There might be others that were not up there. But worry is a it's a condition that all of us know about. Uh, There's no sense in acting as though, you know, not, we're strangers to it. It's just a part of this life. Now, I want to say something to start with. Um, for we that have kind of been around church world for a while, that there's usually a teaching that somehow that if you worry as a Christian, as one that's put their trust in Christ and become his follower, that that's, that's a sin. It's a sin to worry. Just curious, how many have heard that teaching before? Can I see your hands? It was the same way in the first service, a lot of people. Uh, I hope by the end of this service, if you don't learn anything else, uh, after 44 years of me studying God's Word, I don't see that taught anywhere at all. I mean, you think about it. You're already worrying. That's bad enough. And then you're going to feel guilty on top of it because now, now you're sinning. That's a real incentive to stop worrying. So we don't want to go there. Let me start with a uh, uh, quote by a guy named Robert Leahy. He called... Um, He called this age of anxiety in a book called Anxiety Free. We have a unique struggle today with worry. He said, our levels of anxiety have also increased dramatically over the last 50 years. According to psychologist Robert Lay's book, Anxiety Free, the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. We live in the age of anxiety. We've become a nation of nervous wrecks. I mean, to me, this was kind of stunning that, you know, children today experience the level of worry or anxiety that a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. And so with all the technology, with all the opportunities and all the experiences that we can easily engage in today, nevertheless, uh, worry and anxiety is a bigger and bigger problem, not just for us as adults, but for kids, which was kind of a stunning thing. Let me share with you to get us started. Uh, a couple thoughts that I have about anxiety, and, and what we're doing to start off with, we're kind of looking at anxiety, we're considering it from a, or considering worry from a temporal standpoint. So, here's what I believe about it. Worry is the result of longing for life, safety, and satisfaction at the highest levels while being aware of our vulnerability and limitations to achieve or acquire such a desirable, stable state. Now, keep that up there for a minute because it's a little wordy, and I'm going to unpack it a bit. There's something in us where we long for, we don't know why, it's just instinctive, it's intuitive, we long for life, safety, satisfaction at the highest levels. And our worries come where we're, we're thinking something's going to stop us from experiencing life at that high level. Hence, we worry about things. We're also aware that even though we desire life and fulfillment and satisfaction at these high levels, we're vulnerable, we're limited to acquire or achieve this state, and so this also creates the state of worry. Let me go to a second statement. Worry is powerful evidence for the existence of God. Now you might think, Randy, how do you put that together? How is worry an evidence for the existence of God? Have you ever asked yourself, why do we worry? It's based on something, and it's based on we have this this image, this idea, whatever you want to call it, that seems to be branded inside our spiritual DNA where we want this really good life, this life that's perfect, it's ideal, it's better the next day than the day before it, and we compare everything to it, and we worry that we're going to 
just get fragments of it. But where does this idea come from? Where does this design come from? Where does this desire for this ideal life? And I think if you leave God out of the equation, nothing else makes sense. But yet our creator designed us and left the spiritual DNA within us that instinctively draws us toward himself and the kind of kingdom, the kind of existence that only him and his will can bring. And so, ironically, worry, I believe, is a strong evidence for the existence of God. Ultimately, worry is the natural and inevitable result of living in a world where God is not ruling over all and his will is not done by all. Uh, Remember the prayer, you know, Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We worry because we live in a world where there's so much uncertainty, there's so much violence, there's so much danger. God's will is not being done by everybody on this planet all the time. And because God's will is not done by everybody all the time, worry is actually quite appropriate to some degree. So let me just say that worry is actually, in my opinion, a manifestation of some intelligence that you're, you're dealing with reality. There are things to worry about. There are things to be afraid of in this world. Now, I'm not going to advocate that worry is a, uh, a virtue or something we want to develop or cultivate, but I am saying we shouldn't be so down on ourselves if we're worrying. I've seen people that should be worrying about things that, frankly, are oblivious to it. And so... Worry can be a manifestation that we're becoming aware there are issues that are dangerous, there are issues that are abnormal, and worry is an abnormal condition. That's why we don't like it. We were designed by God to live in a world where His will was done all the time. Everything was predictable and safe and pleasant every single day, and worry is this abnormal condition that we experience during this little period of time where Christ is not ruling over every heart and every mind and in every life. So, temporally speaking, worry is the human condition, a natural condition, and it's not something that uh, we should be feeling guilty about. Let me turn you to a portion of Scripture, and we'll, we'll go into this just a little bit deeper. If you don't mind, turn in those Bibles near you to page 1098, and you'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6. It's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're just going to look at, starting in verse 25 of Matthew 6. And I'm going to try to read with one lens in my glasses, which this is tricky. Maybe I'm better off without it. If if some of my wording sounds different than yours, it's because I can't see. (laughs) Lost a lens in these very high-dollar glasses um, just before coming up here. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not what? Worry. Now, if you just stop right there, this is where Christians get this notion Okay, if you worry, it's a sin. And we've all said before that, you know, we've heard that. I'm going to tell you, again, I don't find it taught anywhere. Listen to the spirit by which Jesus is presenting this. And I'll give you a little example in a minute to amplify that. So he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you, and here's one of the pivotal points, aren't you more, what is the word? Valuable than they are. The idea is is that if the Father provides for animal life and they don't even try and their provision is there, they don't worry, 
He's saying, don't you understand how important you are to the Father? Part of the the core reason for worry is the difficulty that I have, that you have, in honestly believing that there is a Father in heaven, an almighty Father, who is more loving than any of, of we fathers here on earth. We're all... We're all trying, I want to believe, to be good expressions of him, but we are fragmentary, imperfect expressions of that father. But there's a real father to whom you matter. Every detail of your life always has, always will. And that father's love means, of course, he'll provide the things that we tend to worry about. But until we understand the value that God has placed on us, we're going to tend to struggle with worry and we're going to struggle with feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's got to figure out how to provide and protect myself and so on. So he says, aren't you more valuable than they are? He goes on in verse 27. And which of you by worrying can add even one hour to his life? So here he's saying, not only is it a values problem, we don't understand how valuable we are to God, but, but it's useless to worry because it doesn't change anything. It's kind of like sitting in a rocking chair. You're, you're moving, but you're not going forward or backward, you know? So he says, you don't really control things by worry, so what good is it? I'll say something a little bit about that in a minute. There is some value to worrying if we follow up with something. Verse 28. He says, why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven... Won't he clothe you even more, you people of little what? Faith. So here Jesus is pointing out, he says, the basis of a lot of our worry is spiritual. It's not temporal. It's, it's because we don't trust that we have a father that genuinely cares for our needs. A father who will come through for us. Uh, he says that's, that's where the, the problem comes. It's, it's our inability to trust in a loving father. He goes on in verse 31. He says, so, so then don't, don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the, and this is important, we're going to come back to this toward the end of the message. For the, what is the word? Un- unconverted. For the unconverted. What it is, it's saying, for the people that have not yet returned to Christ, their creator, in trust. That's what he means by the unconverted. He says, for the The unconverted pursue these things. They're concerned. They feel like they're all on their own. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's a father. He knows our needs. He's going to provide for our needs. But above all, pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be what? Given to you as well. So Jesus is saying that worry is something we don't have to do. Now, I, I want to be balanced about this. I know that, that each of us in here worries, and the truth be told, some of us are, we're just kind of born chronic worriers. Honestly, it's a physiological thing. It's a, it's a biochemical thing. Some of us have gone through some uh, pretty difficult circumstances in our young years, and we're forever battered and bruised and scarred, and we're going to worry more than others. Others of us, like I said, just from our very birth we're just worriers and we're going to struggle a little more but no matter where we're at in this thing i promise you if you 
listen to where this message goes. There, there's some spiritual relief. God wants us to be relieved from worry. He doesn't want us to feel condemned or guilty if we do struggle with worry. Let, let me read you the spirit of this passage, okay? Prior to, you know, or contrary to what a lot of churches or Christians uh, see this, you know, they want to emphasize, you know, worry is a sin, as though feeling guilty is going to motivate us not to worry, which is a ridiculous idea. But, but here's really the way this passage is brought across. Imagine that you have children and that your children finally come to the cognitive level where they understand things like storms and thunderstorms. And so your child is, I don't know, three years old, four years old. And so there's a big storm brewing outside and your children come running to you. Dad, dad, we're scared, we're scared. Or mom, mom, we're so scared. And you pull them to yourself. And what do you say to them? You say, it's all right. You don't have to worry. You're going to be safe. There's nothing to worry about. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. Now, you wouldn't dream of condemning them if they continued to be scared or worried. Or if they came to you the next time there was a thunderstorm and they ran to you once again, I'm scared, I'm scared, Mom, I'm scared, I'm scared, Dad. You just once again, you just say, hey, come on now, we made it through that other one, right? You don't have to worry. I told you you didn't have to worry. It's okay. That's the spirit of this. And that's the spirit you find all through Scripture when it comes to this thing of worry. Listen, God knows that we, apart from Him, this world is not the way He originally intended it, that it's a big, bad, dangerous place. And we have every right to worry about some things. And what I alluded to earlier, worry can play a valuable role in one regard. If there's something that we have been neglecting that we should be putting, giving our attention to, if there's an issue that is pending and it needs to be dealt with, worry provides a lot of energy, a lot of adrenalized energy, if we'll sit down and focus and write out a plan of action. So some worry should be listened to and acted upon. Now some things we worry about, you know and I know, we can't do a thing about them. So there's not much point in worrying about them, right? I mean, there are things in life that we have absolutely no control over, and to worry about those is foolish because you can't control them anyway. But if it's something we can do something about, well, we should sit down and write an action plan and, and let that energy motivate us to do something about it. But ultimately, Jesus says worry is a problem that comes from our inability to really live in light every day of a relationship with a almighty, eternal, loving Father who cares about us individually and knows and cares about every detail of our life. And he's kind of saying, if, if you could just understand how much you mean to the Father, your worries would dissipate. I'm not saying that they'll go away completely, but I'm saying that we'll be able to, to deal with them much, much better. Now, James, in James chapter 4, verse 14, he puts his finger right on what I believe is the heart and soul of our struggle with worry. And it's the uncertainty of life and our inability to protect ourselves from things. He says, you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? And when you think about it, there's not much secure in any of our lives. I mean, we don't really know that we have tomorrow. We're going to plan like we do, but we don't know. We don't know that we have the next brain wave or heartbeat. We're going to plan like we do. We don't want anything too dramatic to happen, but we don't know. And so in just being brutally realistic, there is a, there's a basis for worry. And James is putting his finger right on it. He says, you're merely a vapor. We're vulnerable. You're like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. I'm 
vulnerable. I'm not immortal. I have very little control over anything in my life, which then puts me into the position of quite naturally worrying. And the same is true for you. Proverbs 12.25, it does add this, though, that you know and I know worry is an uncomfortable emotion to live with. It says, worry in the heart of a man weighs it down. And probably some of us have uh, spent some nights sleepless and some days restless. And maybe every day of our life is kind of a warfare where we struggle within with worry of one sort or another. And it does weigh us down. And so I hope in this message we'll, we'll allow God to start to move us toward uh, alleviation of at least the degree of worry that we struggle with. There's a guy, uh, or actually a, a lady named Lisa Miller, and writing in the New Yorker about the way that people are trying these days to cope with worry apart from a spiritual method of solving the problem. Uh, in her article, Listening to Xanax, Reporter Lisa Miller, Lisa Miller chronicles how Americans learn to stop worrying about worry and pop its pills instead. She quotes John Stewart. John Stewart praised Xanax. He called it the smooth, calm, pristine, mellow, sleepy feeling. Lisa Miller goes on and says, in these anxious times, Xanax offers a lot. It dissolves your worries, whatever they are, like a special kiss from mommy. <laughs> in my social circle, Xanax-type drugs are traded with generosity and goodwill. A benzo tranquilizer type pills like Xanax is plain and a pure, a chill pill. You can take it when you need to without committing to months or years of talk therapy. So we live in a day and age where now we have pills that can alter our body chemistry and alter our mood. And so we have a synthetic way of dealing with worry. But it doesn't really get to the core issue. Another fellow named Scott Stossel was brutally honest about his lifelong struggle with anxiety, worry, whatever term you want to use. He said, even when not actively afflicted by acute episodes of anxiety, I am buffeted by worry. Stossel adds, here's what I've tried. Individual psychotherapy, three decades of it. Family therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, hypnosis, meditation, role-playing, interoceptive exposure therapy, I have no clue, in vivo exposure therapy, self-help workbooks, massage therapy, prayer, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and, and the audio tapes I offered or I ordered off a late-night TV infomercial. He goes on. And medication, lots of medication. Thorazine, imiprimamine, desiprimamine, any of you that know these drugs personally, and if I'm mispronouncing them, forgive me, uh, chlorophenoramine, Nardil, Buspar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Wellbutrin, Effexor, Selexa, Lexapro, Cymbalta, Lovux, Trazodone, Levux, Inderol, Transine, Serox, Centrax, St. John's Wort, Zolpidem, Valium, Librium, Ativan, Xanax, Clonopin, also Beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, and scotch. <laughs> Do you think he's tried it all? <laughs> Here's what's worked for him. Nothing. <laughs> Scott Stossel, writing in the Atlantic Magazine, says nothing has worked. And I believe there's a, a good reason for it. We cannot deal with this issue of worry temporally. Every attempt fails. It's a spiritual problem. At its core, it's a spiritual problem. It's, it's about trusting in a father having intimacy with a father who's real who cares who provides all that we need for this life mission for as long as we need it 
And, and that's a root issue that we can't get away from. Let me share with you a statement that um, I hope will make sense to you. Worry is ultimately my longing for the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought of that? That every time I worry about something, I'm wanting a good end. Well, what is a good end? The best end would be when God's will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. And every day is a good day. And the one after it is better than the one before it. Where perfection of life for everybody is possible. So every time I worry, what if I reminded myself, this is really a, a, a spiritual existential ache in my soul for what only God can provide. What if I started to counter worry with with a spiritual approach to it. Counter it spiritually. Worry, was said earlier, is first of all the child of fear. And therefore the grip of fear, or therefore breaking the grip of fear is necessary to break the power of worry. There's some verses I want to share with you that show that, that God in Christ has done everything he possibly can to stop the grip of fear in my life and your life. And until the grip of fear is broken, worry is going to pretty much have its way with us. So let's kind of look through these verses in the book of Hebrews. It says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, that means when he took on humanity, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by God's grace he would experience death on behalf of everyone. Only in this way... Could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to what? The fear of dying. So what is this saying? It's saying that Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, and most importantly, his resurrection from the dead, by his experiencing death just like we do, has expressed the heart of God to us. And let us know that that the creator, God loves us all so much, we can trust him entirely. He would go so far as to become human. He would go so far as to allow himself to be beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross. He would not use his almighty power even then to show to us we can trust him. He loves us. He's for us. And this then is meant to free us from the fear of death because Jesus promised he would rise from the dead and he did. And he promised that all those that return to him in trust will also be risen from the dead to live forevermore in the kingdom that we yearn for and ache for every time we say, I want to be happy. It's a kingdom that only God can bring. It's a life that only God can bring. And so this fear of dying thing, some of you, I'm sure, are thinking, well, I'm not afraid of dying. I don't go around thinking about dying. Many of you have heard me express the way this actually works in us before. It works in two ways. We live governed by self-preservation and self-gratification. Let me show you how this goes. It goes like this. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive. I have no control over the day of my death. Therefore, the only thing that makes sense is to get as much pleasure as I can while I am still breathing. This makes me rather desperate. It makes me rather reckless. It makes me very vulnerable to all kinds of mistakes in life and addictions. And so this fear of dying, it's a real thing. Until I can really believe that I am one that can view life from an eternal perspective, because Christ rose from the dead and he promises that he will do the same for me until I start living where I don't need to go everywhere and do everything because I've got all eternity. People always say to me, they say, Randy, man, you know, 
You've been in ministry all these years, man. When are you going to go to Israel? Don't you want to go to Israel? Don't you want to see the Holy Land? I'm like, yeah, I want to see the Holy Land. I'd love to see the Holy Land. And just as soon as Jesus gets back, I'm, I'm there, man. I'm there. Until then, I'm going to stay in Maryland. <laughs> I'm not much of a traveler. I don't like traveling, you know. But I'm serious. I'm very serious about that. Uh, never rid horses or anything. One, one year, we, our staff decided they're going to go horse riding. Well, I've never ridden a horse. Man, I got on a horse, and I'm an old dude now getting on a horse. Bad back. I loved it. Loved it. So I'm serious. I think in terms when I get my new resurrection body, you know, I'm going to, you're going to see, what was that that just went by? That was little Randy on a horse, man. <laughs> He's wild on that horse now. That's all he wants to do. <laughs> I, I do think that way. I think in terms of you guys, um, I, I have a lot of privileges. I, I, I get to get close to a lot of you at some of the tougher times in your lives. I get to hear a lot of things. And, and one of the things I've learned is that there is no such thing as an un, uninteresting person. You get close enough to any human being, and their stories are stunning, and their souls are beautiful. And one of the things I sincerely look forward to is in that time where eternity is real to to finally really get to know you guys you know when i got a couple hundred years to hear your whole story and hang out with you and and really get close i sincerely view life in these ways i factor these things in in my decisions and that's what jesus death and resurrection is meant to do free us from this panic drive to get it all now you know above all survive and above all gratify your desires it's to free us so that we can Except that this life is meant to be a developmental journey. I'm meant to return to my creator in trust. And then once I return to Christ in trust, I'm meant to let the spirit of God start to change me into that unique Christ-like version of myself that God always intended from all eternity for me to be. And I can relax and I can learn those lessons and I can embrace the good and the bad knowing that they both work to kind of mold and shape me according to that design that God intends. But you've got to break that power of fear. There's one last verse there, and I want to go back to it. It's from 1 John. And it says, where God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love does what? Takes away fear. To the degree, and I'm going to tell you, this is a hard one for me, and it may be hard for you too. To the degree that we can really believe God loves me. I'm his child I matter to him. I really, really matter to him. To the degree that we can internalize that and feel it, it will break the power of fear in our life. And when the power of fear is broken, the core power, the fear of death especially, you watch what happens to worry. A lot of the things that we worry about start to just disappear. And and worry starts to lose its power over us because we're living with that eternal perspective and with the sense that I'm loved by the Father. And he's always with me, and his hand is always on my life. Now, let me give you one last very practical step, and I know this works. I know this is God's methodology for us in this age of uncertainty to cope with worry. And it comes from the New Testament book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Philippi. He says, don't worry over anything, whatever. Now, again, don't read this in a condemnation tone. He's saying, hey, you don't, you don't have to worry about anything at all. Nothing whatsoever. Don't worry about anything whatsoever. Well, what should we do, Paul? Because in fact, Paul, I do worry about things. So, so what should I do? How do I counter it? 
Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. So, what if, what if something as simple as this spiritual principle, what if we started to, to cope with our worry, instead of denying it, own that we have it, but we start coping with it by turning to a spiritual mode of dealing with it. And the spiritual mode is this, that every time I worry, I simply go to God and I tell Him what it is I'm worried about, what it is I think I need. And I do it with a thankful prayer. I thank Him for what He has done. I remind myself of how He sustained me and blessed me. But I'm also thankful and confident that He's going to provide what I need, not what I think I need, but what He thinks I need. So what if every time you or I found ourselves worrying, it prompted us as a call to worship, and we turned worry to worship. Every time we worry, we just go to God, we spill out, we pour out our needs in detailed, thankful prayer, and then God gives us a promise that if we do that, you see, you can put this to the test. If we do this, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will, absolutely, will keep constant guard over your hearts and minds as they rest in Christ Jesus or Messiah Jesus. So this is very simple, very profound, very powerful. It's just a matter if we'll remember that every time we worry to put this into action. So in closing, let me give you a uh, an example that I hope will seal this in your minds a little bit. And I've actually shared this story with you before. Uh, right, right here close to us in Baltimore, there was an 85-year-old nun. Her, her name is uh, Sister Margaret Gary, 85 years old. And so it was a weekend, and she was in the, uh, the convent. And for whatever reason, she was the only one left in the convent. It was a holiday, I think, is the way the story goes, and everyone else had left. So she got on the convent elevator and uh, fortunate for her, she was carrying a few celery sticks and a little jar of water and a couple cough drops. And I would strongly urge you, always carry some celery sticks, jar of water, and a few cough drops if you're getting on an elevator. <laughs> so she gets on the elevator, not thinking anything, and clunk, it won't move. Just curious, have any of you guys ever been stuck or trapped on an elevator? I'm going to tell you, man, I'm not good with claustrophobic type of things. I have been. It's not a pretty scene. Um, so she's there now. The thing won't move. Nobody's in the convent. She knows everybody's gone for the whole weekend. And so here's how she describes it. At first, she said to herself, this can't happen. But then she decided to turn her elevator into a personal prayer retreat. It was either panic or pray. I can really understand the panic part right there. She later told an interviewer for CNN, she started viewing the experience, get this, as a, what is the word? Gift. I believe that God's presence was my strength and my joy. Really, she said. I felt God's presence almost immediately. Now get this last part, because this is where I've been trying to bring you through the whole message. I felt like he provided the opportunity for what? A closer relationship. What if your my struggles with worry? What if every time I you worry over anything, it is God giving me, giving you an opportunity for a closer relationship with Himself? 
One of the verses you'll hear, whether it's me or Thomas or Kim in here, you'll hear us talk about this one verse again and again. Colossians 1.16, it says, We were made by Christ and we were made for Christ, and apart from him life doesn't hold together or cohere. Therefore, if I am made for Christ, my good, my normalcy, I'm, I'm most fully human and fully alive when I am close to Christ. And what if worry, every worry that I have that you have, is an opportunity, a motivation for me to get closer to my creator, which is my native ground. It's where I find myself coming alive, fully human and fully alive. What if every time I worry, I take it from now on as a call to worship? I start telling him my needs. I start thanking him. I start just kind of pouring my heart out to him. I'm not going to try to tell you that if you particularly are a chronic warrior or if you've got some kind of major scarring in your soul because of things that happened early in your life that it's going to diminish or or erase all your worry problems. But I can promise you, I promise you, you take these steps that God has given to us in his word, I promise you, worry will not be the enemy and the tormentor it has been in your life. It can actually be turned to your friend. It will usher you right into the very presence of God, which is where your good, my good, always is. Now, in the beginning of this message, Jesus said something in verse 32 of chapter 6. He said, it's the unconverted that worry about these things. He says, you know, the people that are always worried about, am I going to have enough food, enough clothing, enough, you know, finance and all like that. He says, it's the unconverted. And Jesus' main thought there is that they don't know they have a father. They don't know they have a father that really is there, really loves them. But that term unconverted, it means that person that for whatever reason hasn't actually yet returned to Christ, their creator, in trust. And so I want to just ask you a personal question. Could it be that some of your worry is because all things considered, you have not actually, as a thinking mature person, made a decision that you are going to put your faith, your trust in Christ, your creator, and now, from this day on, you're going to follow him. And you're going to follow him fully. And you're going to follow him freely. And you're going to follow him forever because you really trust him. He died for you on the cross. He rose again from the grave. And you're saying, you know what? Everybody's following somebody. I am going to put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. And I am going to follow you forever. That will break the power of worry in some of your lives. Because it might be that, like Jesus said, your worry is based on the fact that you haven't been reconciled to your creator Christ. So I want to ask you to consider a couple things. For we that are already followers of Christ, will you from this day make an effort that each time worry comes, you'll answer it with worship. You'll tell God your needs in prayer. You'll thank him and you'll wait for his presence and his, his love to guard your heart. But then for some of us, if you know in your heart you've never really put your trust in Christ and become his follower why would you wait why would you wait any longer surely you sense that God is here today surely you sense through every song that's been sung every word that's been said you know that this was kind of a divine appointment for you why would you wait any longer love awaits you healing awaits you truth about God and life and yourself awaits you so if your worry is because you've not been converted haven't put your trust in Christ, I hope before you leave here today, 
you'll make that decision. You'll never regret it. I promise you that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the lover of our souls, the faithful God, the faithful Father, the Father that all of we fathers would like to just in some small way be. Help us, Father, that we'll leave here today with a new spirit, that we will will meet worry with a spirit of celebration and bravery. You, Lord, you make us brave, and we will face worry with that confidence, that bravery that we have in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.